You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. You've had a long day at work, and you can't wait to just get home, take off your shoes, plop yourself down in your favorite chair, and relax. Ah. You walk up to your tranquil residential home and your neatly manicured lawn in your quiet suburban neighborhood, put the key in the lock, open the door, and... Yes, the pets have gone wild! What were you thinking? Welcome to the show about everything you always wanted to know about exotic pets. Where to get them, what to feed them, and how to care for them. You'll even find out why some people live with a monkey. Now, here's your host, exotic pet expert and author, Bob Tart. Hey, Bob, what were you thinking? Hi, this is Bob Tart, author of the books Enslaved by Ducks and Follow Weather. And I'm sitting here in our dining room with uh, bird noises in the background. You can hear our uh, parakeet Harvey and our dove Otis. Our dove Howard is uh, quiet right now, but uh, he's here. And you might hear Bella the parakeet uh, playing with a paper cup. She's uh, kind of uh, vigorously chewing that up. And uh, we've got a few more birds in here too, but they're, they're quiet so far. It's been about a month since my last podcast, and I apologize for taking so long to do a new one. I had every intention of being more timely about podcasts this year, and I I did pretty well in uh, January and in February, but uh, I've been a little bit indisposed lately. Admittedly, it doesn't take much to dispose me, but um, I'll... I'll talk to you about uh, what happened. As I do this recording, there's a very bad situation in North Dakota where there's pretty serious flooding in Bismarck and I believe Grand Forks. It looks like the dikes, the sandbags are going to hold and so uh, I I hope it's going to be okay. One reason I mention this is because Part of what disposed of me in the past couple of weeks is a consequence of some flooding we've had. Nothing at all serious compared to what happens to other people uh, around the country who live near rivers, but uh, bad enough from an animal keeper's point of view. I'm going to start off, too, by complaining miserably that I'm still not over shingles yet. My last podcast, I started off talking about having this really painful illness that comes from being an old person like myself and having a recurrence of the chickenpox virus. I'm I'm feeling much better, but I um, still have these uh, kind of pains and prickling sensations in my face. Now, the prickling sensations in my face are bad enough that I will often wake up every half hour or every hour and have to rush downstairs. I'm sleeping upstairs so as not to bother Linda. I have to rush downstairs and um, pat my face down with hot water. Uh, I, I don't know why this helps, but it does, and then I go back upstairs and sleep for another half hour or hour, or if I'm lucky, two hours. So obviously you can't really carry on your life very well if you're only getting sleep in one hour or two hour blocks. 
So I went back to my doctor, and she was kind enough to give me samples of a sleeping pill called Lunesta. Uh, stay with me, because this is definitely leading back to our animals. Uh, so I like this Lunesta because, unlike some other sleeping pills I've tried, it doesn't make me feel drugged and medicated and um, make me essentially pass out after I've taken it. I uh, really don't feel much of anything, except I, I lie down. The next thing I know, I'm asleep. She had also suggested I try uh, Ambien or uh, one of those other kinds of uh, sleeping pills, but I've been afraid of those because they put you out so completely that you can't wake up in the middle of the night if you have to. And with Lunesta, I've been able to wake up in the middle of the night and occasionally still wake up and have to go downstairs and splash my face with hot water. Fortunately, I'm getting better. Problem with Lunesta is that my fine health insurance company, Priority Health, has decided that even though I pay hundreds of dollars every month in premiums, that they won't cover Lunesta. And they've decided that they know far better than my physician and that I should be taking Ambien. And I, I can't take Ambien because I can't afford to be incapacitated during the night and now we finally come back to the animals. The reason I can't afford to be incapacitated during the night is that recently I've had to wake up in the middle of the night and walk out to the barn, turn the light on, and check to make sure that everybody is okay. I've had to check on everybody ever since uh, the flooding began here and the consequence of the flooding. About every spring and fall, to some degree, the Grand River floods. It floods the woods behind our house. We're about 500 feet or so from the Grand River, and we're situated fairly high up. So even a few years ago, when the water got so deep that our neighbor's driveway behind us and to the west, even when our neighbor's driveway was five feet underwater, the uh, river still hadn't reached you know any part of our property that really impeded us too much the water came within a few feet of one of the animal pens in back of the barn and i remember that year i actually kind of liked it because it was the first time i'd seen a bird on our property called a common yellowthroat and uh, the common yellowthroat had pushed the bird forward away from its normal habitat and i went outside and i saw it um, sitting on a bush uh, or the post of our pen, I can't remember which, and um, making sounds, uh, chipping sounds that at first made me think it was a red-winged blackbird. But this is a problem of uh, limiting animals' habitat because sometimes bad things happen because of that. A few weeks ago, I think it's about three weeks ago now, it was a Saturday morning, I went out to the barn to do the morning barn chores, and I opened the door, and there was a barred rock hen dead on the floor. In our barn right now, or in our barn at the time, we had um, less than 10 hens, maybe 20-some ducks, including three Muscovies, and uh, one duck that we found out is apparently a uh, mallard muscovy hybrid and the rest of the ducks are the typical uh, barnyard ducks a few white pecans and uh, you know just the kind of 
mixtures of the uh, different breeds, so I can't really tell you what we've got. We don't try and keep any uh, pure breeds. What we basically do is take in ducks that have nowhere else to go. That chirping you hear right now is our lineulated um, parakeet Hoshi that we got just a couple weeks ago. Hoshi hears our bird clock, and when Hoshi hears the chirping of the bird clock, uh, Hoshi likes to join in. So anyway, I went out to the barn, and uh, our hens are getting fairly old because these are hens that were given to us because they were no longer very good laying hens, and the owners were otherwise um, probably going to kill them. So we took them in, and they're, you know, I, I've probably said this before, hens are generally lovely birds. We go out to the barn with uh, table scraps to feed them and the hens are so tame you have to sort of wade through them like you would be wading through leaves in fall if you have a lot of trees in your yard and uh, you know I, I just uh, really really love these creatures and so it distressed me that uh, this hen had died and they sometimes die from old age or from illnesses related to old age but what was troubling was it looked like something also had eaten this bird. I wasn't really in a state of mind where I would panic because of this because a couple months earlier we had a hen die of again what seemed to be old age because it was a hen we had quite a while and Linda had put it up on some feed sacks. Uh, this is because I was sick at the time and um, with the shingles and I couldn't go outdoors uh, to, to do much of anything without this pounding in my head and in my neck and uh, this sort of thing. So she put the bird's body up on the feed sacks and then in the morning uh, I uh, rallied myself and went outside to bury the bird and I noticed that the bird looked like something had been chewing on it. And I thought uh, either maybe a uh, uh, rodent of some kind had gotten at it or maybe even uh, one of our hens had uh, just sort of pecked at it a little bit, gotten up on the feed bags because they were high up. So I tell you this just to let you know why uh, I didn't panic at first. So I took the hen out and I uh, buried her and I told Linda what had happened and I didn't think a whole lot more about it. But then the next morning, it was a Sunday morning, I went out to the barn and I opened the door and I had sort of foreboding because I was thinking, I hope I you know, don't find any more animals dead. And I opened the door and as soon as I opened the door, I had this ghastly sight of black feathers everywhere and there was a bird uh, a, a nice hen a, a black hen I, I can't tell you the breed but um, she was um, completely torn up and, and dead but even more troublesome uh, was just across the barn there was this real nice Isa Brown hen that uh, Isa Browns have such nice temperaments and she was badly torn up but the poor thing was still alive so uh, I had to take her out back and uh, dispatch her and it was, uh, uh, it was very very troubling you know I, I, I still feel just terrible about it I know it was the right thing to do but um, you know I just I just hate killing anything but there was there's nothing that could be done so clearly something was getting into our barn and attacking our animals our barn uh, is closed up every night so I didn't see what could get inside I called our uh, handyman, our friend Gary, and uh, I called over there. It was 9.30 in the morning, but uh, his wife Sandy told me that Gary was still sleeping because they'd had some friends drop by the night before and had uh, quite the party. So I, I thanked her. I told her I needed help uh, 
making an enclosure inside the barn where our birds would be safe, and she said he would get back to me. And then I also called Charlie, who is another uh, uh, friend of ours who comes over and um, does work for us. And um, before too long, both Charlie and Gary showed up. And they're more courageous than I am, so they uh, took the two dead birds out of the uh, feed sack where I'd put them. I was, you know, going to bury them in the feed sack. And they both concurred that it did not look like a raccoon or a fox or a possum had killed these birds, but it looked like something small, like a weasel had gotten them. And that's very bad news if you have a weasel, because uh, weasels can weasel their way through almost, almost any small space you can think of. In fact, if you have an opening that's, say, an inch and a half square or, you know, as little as an inch and a half wide, you know, sort of a crack, a weasel can flatten itself down and can get in the barn. And I've heard just horrendous stories about people who have had weasel attacks and they've lost every single animal in their barn because the weasel doesn't even so much want to uh, eat. You know, it doesn't just attack one animal to eat its fill, but the weasel will, for some reason, maybe related to ferocity, I don't know what it is, but will kill every single thing in the barn. And uh, I did hold out a little hope it wasn't a weasel because um, it hadn't, hadn't killed everything. It had just killed uh, three hens in two days. So my plan was this. Um, inside our barn, there is uh, an old chicken coop that we just sort of use as a back room. And the chicken coop uh, has two uh, stone walls, you know, which is one corner of the barn. And then added to that on the third side is uh, a wall of wood, of boards. And then on the fourth side, it is boards and this uh, fencing but the fencing was quite large mesh so I needed to put chicken wire on it so um, Gary I, I was in quite a terrible state of mind after having uh, had to kill the hen and also just trying to figure out what to do with all our animals so um, Gary started working on the chicken wire for me and um, Charlie started going through every nook and cranny of the barn trying to see if there was in fact still an animal in the barn and uh, he wasn't he wasn't able to find one. But our, our problem at this point was this, and that was even if we could secure this back room for the ducks and hens, how could we put them all in that back room because not everybody gets along? You know, the back room is, um, it's a good enough size. It's probably about the size of most people's living room, so um, maybe a little smaller, most people's uh, bedroom. I can't give you dimensions because uh, I'm an idiot. So we could put most of the animals in there except um, I mentioned the Muscovies earlier. Our Muscovy Victor absolutely does not get along with our male Muscovy Ramon and they will fight and that would just cause absolute chaos in a small space like that. So what we decided to do was to move Victor and two female Muscovies, uh, the elderly Rosemary, who I was just happy uh, was not picked on during the attack. I didn't like losing the hens, but uh, I would have hated to lose uh, Rosemary. And then we also moved um, Flower, our other little female Muscovy. Plus we took um, 
Ramon and put him, we sectioned off another part of the goose pen and put Ramon in there along with three ducks that a friend of ours named Diane had given us because we just absolutely did not want to have anything happen to them. Uh, we're going to take a break right now. Um, I want you, I want, I want to remind you you're listening to What Were You Thinking? I'm your host, Bob Tart, author of the books Enslaved by Ducks in the Fall Weather. And please stand by for a word from our sponsor. What Were You Thinking? We'll be right back after Bob gets the ducks out of his living room. Don't go away. Hey, ready to take a walk? Not just you, but the whole family. It's the 2009 Whisker Walk, Sunday, June 7th from 11 to 3 at the Lancaster Fairground in Lancaster, Massachusetts. Pet owners and animal lovers walk to lend a paw to benefit the animal shelters and pet charities they love. Come see exhibits, demonstrations, educational programs, special attractions, product giveaways, entertainment, auctions, raffles, food, fun, and things for adults and kids to see, do, and buy, both human and pet related. Whisker Walk 2009, a fun day for everyone. For more information, log on to whiskerwalk.org. Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in paparazzi, candid pictures of you and your pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Pet Life Radio presents Paranormal Pets, where you can always expect the unexpected. Each week we'll discuss all aspects of weird or spiritual animal encounters, ghosts, totems, psychic animals, animal souls, animal angels, and animals in religion, with a little cryptozoology thrown in. Step into the supernatural world of pets with your Paranormal Pets ghostly host, Dusty Rainbolt, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, ducks are in the pond, rabbits in his hutch, and monkeys... Ow! In my car! Oh, okay, well, I go check my insurance policy. We'll turn you back over to Bob. Hi, it's uh, Bob Tart again, and thank you for uh, putting up with my long monologue uh, about our animals. I'm going to have a sip of coffee right now, which I should have had uh, during the commercial break, but I didn't. Here we go. Okay, so... We finally had that taken care of. We had the um, pen 
within the barn um, sealed up pretty good, although I still wasn't convinced that an animal like a um, weasel couldn't find a space to get through because it's an old barn and there's spaces between the boards. So we also went around the outside of the barn and tried to find any cracks or holes and fill up anything we could and then go to the second story of the barn. And Charlie and Gary were also looking for any openings from one floor to another, like there was a place where... um, Originally, the farmer who owned our property would have hay delivered to the second floor, and then there was a kind of door you would push open, and then you could drop the hay bales down to the other floor. And we were thinking to the bottom floor that if a raccoon was up there, it could just you know probably go up and down that that chute. So um, he he nailed those shut. So anyway, we were um, not feeling good because I felt awful about losing the hens and a bit worried about, uh, you know, would our animals be safe in the pen? But at least I felt that, well, we've got uh, Victor, we've got Ramon, we've got the female Muscovies, and we've got the three ducks from our friends, that they would be safe outdoor in the goose pen. So I I was feeling kind of miserable by the whole experience, and I was just kind of curled up in a ball somewhere in the house and Linda said she wanted to take a walk down to the river because she was tired of being in the house and I didn't want to go. There's not too far that we could go at the time because it was flooded but um, flooding had uh, gone down a little bit so you could uh, slosh through the neighbor's driveway if you had boots on and then there was uh, some higher ground by the river and you could walk along that a little bit. I should mention that uh, this flooding, we didn't just have like a pond. Um, it was actually the flowing river um, just down the hill from the barn. So this, this was you know genu- genuine flooding. So anyway, Linda made it to the higher ground, and then she came back to the house in a fairly agitated state. And I uh, you know, asked her you know, what the heck was going on. Well, actually, I didn't have to because right away she blurted out that uh, she'd seen a bear that she was walking and uh, she saw what she thought was a squirrel's nest up in a tree and so she took her binoculars and looked at it and it looked a little odd and then all of a sudden she saw a very large paw and she saw the pads on the paw. She thought at first, um, this is what she told me, that it was maybe a predator's, uh, like an eagle's nest or maybe an osprey nest and maybe it killed some animal and I amputated a paw or something but then the paw started to move and she took a closer look at what she thought was the nest and it wasn't made out of leaves or twigs it was actually a hairy body so I didn't believe her just because we live in um, southern Michigan and this is not an area where you expect to see bears so I walked out with her. She kept saying, no, we better not go, we better not go, but I, I just had to find out. So we walked uh, about as far as we could out on this peninsula that was created by the flooding, and I looked through the binoculars where she was pointing, and yes, there was a, there was a bear. You could just see kind of a ball of fur, and the paw was now up, but I could see it, and I could see the claws. So this is very distressing to me because... Um, That meant that uh, if the bear got, I know bears are omnivorous and, you know, usually eat, um, uh, you know, berries and um, things like that. But, you know, if the bear was starving, it might well decide to uh, crash into our uh, goose pen and 
therefore the geese and the Muscovies were not safe. Um, someone recently moved into the house behind us where the driveway was flooded. House has been uh, vacant off and on over the past three or four years since uh, our neighbor Don died and um, his uh, children just recently rented the house again. A chiropractor moved in. So uh, my first chance to meet him, it was the day Linda saw the bear, and I sloshed through his driveway and um, introduced myself as he was getting out of the uh, his uh, SUV. He was kind of surprised to see me in my agitated state, plus with my face all messed up from uh, the shingles. And um, I introduced myself, and I told him that not 200 feet from his house, not even 100 feet from his house, there was a bear up in a tree. I guess it's about 200 feet. And um, he didn't look too happy about that. I took him out and showed him the bear. But he said something to me that was very interesting. He said um, last night his buddy had, um, I guess he must have been there the night before, he said his buddy had come to the house and said that he saw a mink running across the driveway. So the pieces kind of fell together then that um, this is what had been preying on our barn. Um, that the river, uh, you know, a mink is a creature that likes flowing water. It's not an um, animal you associate with ponds. And so this must be an animal that lives along the, rigor, the river bank and, uh, you know, finds uh, very opportunistic about um, finding and killing prey. And so it just strayed a little bit from the riverbank, which was not far from the barn, made its way into the barn through any of the numerous uh, cracks that uh, we found, and then uh, killed a couple of our um, hens. I was relieved in a way that it was a mink rather than a weasel, because uh, the minks don't seem to be so ferocious and hell-bent on killing everything in sight um, as a weasel, but uh, still quite uh, distressing. We... Uh, had our friend Charlie come by Sunday night and Monday night and uh, do guard duty for us. And um, I don't own any firearms. Um, I, I'm, I'm not a hunter. Um, that doesn't mean that under certain circumstances, you know, I, I might not use a gun. And one of these circumstances were to protect our other animals. Um, I'm not adverse to somebody um, blasting or scaring away at least uh, the animal that's trying to kill our hens and ducks. So uh, Charlie was standing guard uh, with a 22, and uh, he stayed for uh, two hours on Sunday night and didn't see anything. And um, we left a radio playing out in the barn, and we also left the lights on, hoping that this might discourage a mink from coming by. And then the next night, Charlie did the same thing, and this time he, uh, at 9.30, he... Uh, because a, a, a creature like a mink is uh, nocturnal and will be probably figured the most active um, just at sundown and um, sunrise. That that's when to take advantage of its uh, hunting opportunities. So um, Charlie uh, knocked on our door at about 9.30. He had been uh, there for um, a couple hours. And he told us that he had seen an animal walk out of the pond and then splash back in. But the way he described it, the silhouette of what he saw, um, made him and also us think that he had uh, seen a muskrat because it was sort of a, a hunchback rather than, had a rounded silhouette rather than the long silhouette that a um, weasel-like creature like a mink would have. 
Um, and he also thought he heard some scrabbling around upstairs, so he was still of the um, idea that maybe there was something in our barn in the upper story. So um, I put a, put a live trap up there. So um, luckily another day came, and uh, we didn't have any fatalities. And the um, story has a happy enough ending, and that is that uh, as the week progressed, we did not get any more rain, and uh, the, uh, after three days, there was no longer a current in the part of the woods that was flooded because it was now cut off from the main body of the river. And that made me feel better because uh, no flowing water meant that the mink probably retreated back to the river. And ever since then, the pond has been shrinking every day. And finally, in the middle of last week, for the very first time, we um, gave the ducks the full run of the barn and we've been at night, and we've been uh, giving that to them ever since, and um, everything is okay. And we have moved um, Diane's ducks back to the barn, and we've moved our timid Muscovy Ramon back to the barn. But uh, Flower, Rosemary Clooney, and Victor, the three Muscovies, they're, they're still outside. And they actually are out in the goose pen, and they actually seem quite, quite content there. So we might keep them there a little ways. I have to report one thing that was uh, kind of funny about all this, and that was the duck and hen behavior. Usually what happens at night is I go out to the barn uh, evening, you know, bef- right before or after dinner, and um, we have two, uh, two large pens attached to our barn, and that's time for them to come in for the night. And I'll have treats for them, and they'll just walk in through these main doors that are attached, um, you know, the, the main barn doors. There's a, a pen right outside, and they'll just walk into the barn. But they had to do something different when we were putting them in the back room. I wanted them to go through one particular door, and then once they were in that particular door, I had to herd them back into this... Uh, sort of small room, small compared to the rest of the barn. And they were very resistant just because uh, animals like humans are creatures of habit. So the first night I needed Linda to come out with me and we both sat there with our arms spread and herded them and it was a little difficult to get them. But it was funny, after just two, three nights, they not only knew what to do, but I was quite amused one evening when I went out there to put them in and as soon as they saw me in the barn, not only did they all walk into the barn through the right door, but they all put themselves very, in a very orderly fashion into the back room. So, um, you know, tell me these animals aren't smart because they, they definitely learned, uh, you know, what, what they needed to learn. Of course, they didn't just do it for, <laughs> for altruistic reasons because they knew that... Uh, once they got into the back room, that was our pair of Dusty making that ear-piercing shriek. Once they got into the back room, they were going to get treats because I would herd them in the back room and then throw them, um, you know, some uh, leftovers from whatever we had for dinner. So anyway, any everybody has been safe since then, and now that our pond, <clears throat> excuse me, has been restored to a peaceful pond without a flowing river attached to it. We have been enjoying a small population of wood ducks. These are very gorgeous ducks that look hand-painted. We've had up to 14, that was Dusty saying hello, we've had up to 14 wood ducks before. It's a little early in the season yet. This year I have only seen three of them, and they waddle up and eat some uh, scratch feed that we put out for them on the hill. We have a pair of mallards there, 
and very spectacularly, um, I think this was before the mink attack, we had briefly, just for an hour or so that I saw them, we had a pair of ducks called um, hooded mergansers on the pond. And you should really look these up on Google if you've never seen hooded mergansers. They're just, they're just spectacular. You should also look up wood ducks. And we have the hooded mergansers probably most springs, but just, just for a day or two. And, and this year so far only for, uh, seem like only a couple hours. So that's it. Uh, that's our tale of the mink and the bear. You've been listening to Bob Tart, author of Enslaved by Ducks and Fall Weather, a couple books about our animals. It contains stories like this, and in fact, this story in some form is going to make it into the book I'm working on now, even though the book is largely about our six cats. So thank you for listening. Thank you so much to our producer, Mark, who is a renowned mink trapper and bear hunter, and uh, I thank Mark also. So uh, for this episode, bye-bye. Hi, here I am again, even though we've already signed off. Uh, I just want to mention two quick things by way of a postscript, and that is uh, when I was talking about the flooding in North Dakota, I said uh, Bismarck was threatened, and and obviously I I meant Fargo. The other thing I wanted to uh, make sure to mention is that uh, I talked about having Charlie outside with uh, a gun. Um, I I didn't want you to think that this was the only way we were trying to deal with the mink problem. That uh, We also had a live trap uh, set in the barn, and you know that was uh, our first line of defense, hoping that uh, the live trap would uh, get the mink that... um, you know, th- that was what we um, preferred. So uh, just want to make that clear because we do not uh, have any policy of uh, blasting animals on our property. Even after um, raccoons have uh, killed our ducks in the past, this was a few years ago when they managed to uh, make it uh, into uh, uh, one of our duck pens and kill a couple of ducks. You know, we were really upset and mad at the raccoons, but the way we dealt with it was we just set a live trap out and uh, caught the raccoons and uh, put them somewhere else. So just wanted to uh, clear that up. Thanks. See you next time. Thinking about buying a monkey? How about a ferret or a skunk? Then check out the show that will answer the burning questions, where do you get them? What do you feed them? How do you take care of them? And most of all, what were you thinking? With exotic pet expert and author Bob Tart, every week on demand from PetLifeRadio.com.